Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? Al Sacco and Zane Nockby back with you for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And again, we are brought to you by the QBSneak.com. Over the last two years, the QB Sneak's weekly predictions have been over 60% correct. For accurate predictions on the NFL and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams, confidence pools, or any help you need arguing with your friends over who's the GOAT, head to www.thequbsneak.com. Zane, not a game this week, but we still got a pretty packed show. We do. And some of the stuff we're going to talk about that's related to the game and the team and other stuff we won't necessarily talk about that's related to the team. There's a, a fantastic game on Monday night, which I can't wait to hear your thoughts on. And there's a lot of stuff that we have to look forward to next offseason. And it kind of sucks, to be honest, that we're talking about next offseason. And it's was a week 10 as of the recording of the show. And the Niners are just coming off a of bye week and they're two and eight. And it seems to be another lost season. Granted, this season was pretty much over when Jimmy Garoppolo went down with that ACL injury, which seems like forever ago. But it just, to me, Al, it's just kind of bittersweet because it's like, hey, they will probably get a top five pick again. But you don't want to, you don't want to be in that crew that keeps getting top five picks every year. They just had one a couple of years ago with Solomon Thomas, and or last year they had <laughs> with Solomon Thomas, and this year again, you're going to be a, a, a probably a top five pick. This was one of those shows where we talked a couple of days ago and said, oh man, it's the bye week. What are we even going to talk about? And then a couple of days later, we have so much to talk about. We're going to talk about the John Lynch interview that happened where he addressed Khalil Mack and some of the other things. We're going to talk about the Niners having the number one pick right now. Someone tweeted me a question um, about the biggest disappointments, biggest surprises, reason for optimism, reason to be not be optimistic. And we're going to go over that on the show too. It was Chris Ellis who sent me that tweet. And I thought it was a good question. And Zane and I are going to kind of talk about that on the show as well. So pretty packed show. We're excited about it. Before we get into what we're going to talk about, we're going to bring on our guest, NFL analyst, Adam Kaplan. We are excited to welcome to the show, NFL analyst, Adam Kaplan. Adam, how are you? Good. I'm, I'm, I'm well, man. I'm looking forward to uh, week number 12 of the National Football League. It's been a great season, and not so much for the Niners. It's been, it's been a little bit rough, and I'm looking forward to getting into some stuff about the 49ers with you. But before we do that, in doing some research on you, I was kind of inspired by your story because you got into the sports media business a little later in life and basically went from working in retail to mainstream media. Can you tell us a little bit about how you were able to do that and break into the business? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I went to school for broadcasting or broadcast media. It's just that. You know, in my 20s, Al, I was trying to figure out life out. And that's kind of what happens to kids listening, anyone who is in their 20s. You can always start your career later. It's, you know, I'm one of four boys. For some reason, all of us kind of, whatever success we had came later. Mm -hmm. Heck, my dad, my dad retired. The early 50s went back to law school. Now, he had a pretty successful uh, career as a builder of custom homes. But I think... It's just to show you if you have if you have perseverance in mind and are willing to just work at your craft, as long as you know Al what you want to do, you'll eventually get there. And that's kind of the testament to my career is I never was going to be determined deterred from getting where I wanted, and I was determined to get there. It just took way longer than I expected, unfortunately. And you created your own website, right, based around injuries that kind of made you you an expert in that area. 
Yeah, so my partner, Steve Cohen and Jay Glazer, you know Jay Glazer from uh, Fox Sports. and Oh, sure. From, yeah, SiriusXM. So they, they'd actually they'd, they'd come up with a company and a, and a newsletter called the Pro Football, in, Pro Football and Injury Report in like 1996, 95 area. Uh, they brought me in to run the company uh, from an editorial standpoint because uh, that was where my background was in, um, in 99 and 2000. And I wound up kind of running the day-to-day operations from it. Um, I hired all the writers. I managed all the writers. I managed all the content. And the one thing I started to learn is, you know, I learned a little bit, of, well, actually a lot, about how teams looked at injuries from a, from a standpoint of what kind of injuries they were and it, how long it would take players to return. And I became one of the experts, I guess you could say, in, in, in it. And um, but if you follow me on Twitter, at Kaplan NFL, I mean, there's not a day that I don't put information up that I don't talk about injuries. And, you know, I, I would get work just because I was one of the few guys in the country that could talk injuries. So I would tell anyone listening, you know, the, the key about success, no matter what you do, is just be good at least one thing. And I learned from being very friendly with team doctors and trainers over the years. I learned about how long you would you could come back from an MCL sprain. I knew that a grade two MCL, MCL sprain would not be four to six weeks. An offensive lineman could only miss one week and come back. Most people didn't know that, but I learned early on from listening very well and understanding injuries that no matter what's been reported, some guys can come back earlier just because depending on what position. So there are little nuances to my information, and uh, I just learned that people wanted to have it, so it's really helped my career. So were you approached by more of the mainstream guys? And I know you work for Fox and ESPN. Did you have to apply there or were you approached because of the work you were doing? No, I got recommended. Um, okay. uh, I, ESPN, I actually interviewed there in 06 or 07. Um, they actually, if I recall correctly, it's been over 10 years. They actually were going to buy me, my, my shares of my company out and bring oh, me wow. in. Uh, to work with Chris Mortensen. I don't even think I told Mort this. He probably doesn't know this. We we worked together at ESPN, but I never told him this. But now that you brought it up, um, yeah, it's uh, yeah that 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 one didn't work out. The guy who was supposedly going to hire me, uh, he got promoted and just fell. Uh, actually, CBS and ESPN uh, kind of chased me at the same time. And then uh, you know, six years later, Adam Schefter recommended me for the job, and you know, I got the job in thirteen, and I worked there for four and a half years, and. You're part of the layoff, and then I'm just rebuilding my career right now. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm out there, and uh, things are going well. I'm uh, got a couple things going. I'm hoping to get done for next year. That's awesome, and you, you do a great job. So definitely wish you wish you the best of luck with all of that. Yeah, and ha- have to ask you, as a guy who follows injury in the sports, <laughs> the Niners have had a lot of them this year, and yeah. none bigger than 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 Jimmy Garoppolo. What do you expect from him next year as he returns and tries to come back from this ACL injury? Well. The good thing is I understand it. It was a fairly clean ACL tear. Same with Jarek McKinnon, uh, checking into it. Uh, that'll help him get on the field in during OTAs. Even, he's, he's, you know, you would assume he's going to be limited. But just getting him on the field in the spring, late spring, certainly being 100% by summer, it's great. I mean, it, you know, unfortunately, he got hurt, as you know, in a weird injury. McKinnon, unfortunately, got hurt on the last day of a practice. Uh, last last Really, the last practice, I think, the end of training camp, if I recall correctly. I remember, yep. I remember yep. it happened. Wow, it was awful. Uh, I remember doing some reporting on it. I felt so bad. Um, but I, I, he'll be able to do everything that I've been told, would suggest he'll be able to do everything next year. And 
boy, do they miss him. Uh, there's no question about it, not having him. I remember talking to Marquise Goodwin about him, obviously before the injury, and he said it made him a better football player because Jimmy gets the ball out so quickly. made him actually be more precise route runner. I thought that was very interesting. What did you see from Jimmy early on? Because he wasn't quite the same player as he, went, as he was towards the end of last year. Do you think it was just him sort of growing since he hasn't had too many starts? Or do you think the league caught up with him? How, how did you see his early starts? No, I think what it was is different personnel. I think, and I learned this studying Carson Wentz, um, the Eagles quarterback. Over time, it's going to get better because, you, A, you get used to the personnel and the mm. coaches get used to you and what, what to call. And that's the thing in my 20 years of covering the National Football League. The one constant is that there's a comfortability factor that the, the, uh, the play caller, in this case it's Kyle Shanahan, the, the, you, you start figuring out what a guy really is good at. And then you, you continue to call those plays. And Kyle runs an old-school West Coast offense with, with stretch elements. Jimmy doesn't have the greatest downfield arm, but it's fine. It's, it's good enough. And you, you, good, I thought going and Garoppolo were going to take off this season. But again, um, yeah, mixed results a little bit uh, this season before he got hurt. But um, it, he'll be okay. I, I, I wouldn't worry about it. The, the, they'll get that together. But the roster, though, is the issue. The roster needs a lot of upgrades. Yeah, and before we get into the roster, I do want to ask you kind of the perception of the 49ers around the league because they've had these injuries, but at the same time, they've lost four games by four points or less, and they've played well in spurts, but they can just never be consistent by any stretch of the imagination. Have they just been unlucky, or, or what other major issues do you see here? I think the one thing that someone with another team told me, he said, this guy's a big fan of Kyle Shanahan. He goes, you know, the, the issue with younger head coaches they're not really sure sometimes how to get the errors corrected. Like, there's been a real problem, and I get their backup quarterbacks with the turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, you're talking about close games, you got to stop turning the ball over. You know, the defense isn't good enough. Like, no defense is going to be good enough. If you turn the ball over two times a game, you're not going to win. You're just not. If you lose a turnover battle, you lose, a, you lose 75% of the time. That's the number that I was given one by a coach. Um, I don't know. At some point, it'll stop. But it, it's up to Kyle and his coaches to coach harder. And it's just not acceptable. You can't. I know Mike Zimmer was talking about it, the Vikings head coach. There's got to be a way to, to make better. The quarterbacks have to make better decisions. I don't care mm-hmm. if they're a backup. They, there's got to be a, more accountability. I think that's, I think, much as a fan of I am of Kyle, he's got to hold his quarterbacks to a higher standard of, of accountability. And they can't continue to turn the ball over. This has been a been a constant problem since he's been the head coach. Uh, if there's one criticism, I know he's not playing, but I don't know what they're doing to teach them there. Um, whatever it is, and I, I get a lot of these guys are backups, but that's got to stop because you're not going to be a playoff team to turn the ball over constantly. And you mentioned the roster, and the 49ers have spent an awful lot of draft capital on the defense with guys like Solomon Thomas, Reuben Foster, Witherspoon Warner, and even before Shanahan got there, guys like Armstead and Buckner and Jimmy Ward. Yet this defense seems to have taken a huge step back this year. They're last in the league with five takeaways. Do you think the Niners maybe just haven't drafted very well, or maybe is the the lack of a true edge rusher having a snowball effect on the entire unit? Yeah, when I was with the thought of the season, I knew this was the case because the, the defense that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan took over and, and Robert Sala was not a fit for this, this scheme. 
they have 34 personnel and they're trying to run a 43 with an overfront, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't match. They need, they didn't, I said it then, I'm like, I don't know how they're going to rush the passer with what they have. And I turned out to be right. It was obvious being there. I mean, if anyone who went to practice, you're like, you know, one true pass rusher. Solomon Thomas was an undersized defensive end. He's a very unique player that the only way you're going to free him up is if you move him around. His draft grade skyrocketed after the the the, uh, the the senior bowl and before that the bowl game that he played he was off the charts incredible in I remember watching that game and and but the problem is as personnel people told me is like you better know how you're going to use him because he's not a traditional defensive end it just does not work yet um, you know the two got Buckner and Armstead who they acquire who they re, you know they 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 kept obviously they reta- they they took them. Uh, from Chip Kelly's staff. Um, those kids are talent, but I don't know how good of a fit they are. And I, I think I think next year, Al, that will be a major, major defensive draft because right now they're just not competitive enough. Do you think Robert Sala is at all to blame for this? Could he maybe be the fall guy for what is has ended up to be a lost season? Um, yeah, well, look, he's the one who's coaching him, but I, what I'd like to see is if he has the right personnel, then put it on him, then hold him accountable. It, it's hard. It's I mean, it's hard when you don't when you're brought in to run your scheme and and you need your players, the players that you need a true edge rusher. I mean, he doesn't have that. I mean, he just doesn't. The, mm-hmm. the, the personnel, the, the the front does not really fit. Uh, it, you know, it, it just doesn't. Um, the corners have not played particularly well. Uh, we've seen them. We've at times they're a little bit too up and down. They're not consistent enough. Just not a, it's a bad team. I mean, I, I don't know what else to tell you. I know you lose your quarterback, your running back, that you, that's going to be a major problem. But the record, they've earned their record. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. I'm, I'm disappointed like everyone. Mm-hmm. But I would have loved to have seen Garoppolo play a entire season because I, I really thought I was going to be right with eight wins if Garoppolo and McKinnon didn't get hurt. I know for a fact, talking to the Niners, they thought McKinnon was about as good as a fit as they could have for their offense. And um, they just don't have him. And Breed has been a great story. Um, but he's not a starting running back. I think. I think if they're being honest, they would tell you that he's a changeup, and it's just he's done a good job in the role that he's been given. But he's just not the the best story is George Kittle. I mean, he has really come on. Yeah, he's he's been a monster this year, and he looks like a real a real cornerstone for that offense. Now you mentioned you mentioned the pass rush. If you're running the Forty ers where else do you go this offseason? What positions are you looking at to fill more than the other this offseason to get them back on track for 2019? Yeah, other than, than the least two defensive ends, I'm not stopping at one. I'm going two or three. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going for it. They're going to have a lot of cap space, and they've got a great owner in Jed York who's willing to spend money. That's not a problem. Um, I'm going to go corners, and I'm not going to go to draft. I may not, although I think this would be a heavy defensive draft, I try to bring a free agent corner in or two. I just try to get better immediately. I, I, and then I, I'm drafting I'm drafting two or three DNs. Um, I love Fred. Uh, Fred Warner's been a nice story. That, that's a, I mean, look, you, you never really know what happens when you bring a third-round pick in, but he's been a good story. Um, if Foster's not been the player that they thought they were getting, whether it's injury, we know about the off-the-field stuff, but he's certainly the shoulder, uh, which was a concern coming in. Um, other, ribs, whatever injuries he's had, they need him to be a stud linebacker and be, in it, be a force, and he has not been that. He hasn't been bad, but he has not been, I don't care what they say, he's not been what most people thought he would be. Look, he's still very young, 
but it's got to get better. I mean, that's that's the problem here is these some of these younger players like Kelly Witherspoon up and down could be certainly could be a lot better. Uh, you, you, you know, the, the safeties up and down word and, and tart and word playing the corner is he a safety or a corner. Kwan Williams was a good signing a couple years ago. I mean, he's, he's okay nickel. It's just it's a it's a below average defense. I mean, that's what you're getting. You're getting they're playing quite frankly, Al. They're playing to the. I mean, could they be better and be an average defense? Sure. I don't. I haven't talked to anyone who's played them who thinks they're even an average defense. They think they're below average. Wow, wow. And you think of all the draft capital they spent. That's that's scary. Oh, well, here's the thing. Okay, we talked about Solomon Thomas. Okay. Armstead and, and Buckner were inherited by by the staff. They didn't they didn't draft them. No one drafted these. The people with this football team did not draft them. Okay, that's mm. just a fact. John came in. John and and Kyle came in after Buckner and Armstead. Okay, Smith Malcolm Smith was brought in because of the Seattle system. Reuben Foster was drafted by these guys. Now he is not he's not there yet. I mean, he's only second year player, but he's not there yet. Hart was not drafted by those guys. Ward was not drafted by those guys. Uh, Weatherspoon was. He's not there yet. He's a second year player. He needs to be better. Uh, more we don't know enough. He's too, he's a rookie. We don't know much about him. Uh, DJ Reed is a player I know they like. Um, we'll see. Uh, he's got ability. It's just they're not. There's nothing special about this. These players. It's just not. Um, you want to say it's coaching? That's fine. I I'm not there, so I can't tell you how they're being coached. Mm-hmm. I think they need they need edge rushers. Now listen, when you Al, when you get edge rushers, that changes that changes everything. They just don't oh sure. Happen. Period. End of story. Adam, this was great. We really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Got it. Good luck. And thank you again to Adam Kaplan for taking the time to talk to us. And Al, let's just get into it, man. I mean, what are you what are you seeing? Like, what's going on with this team? Like, I mean, we we talked about the game a little bit after it happened. Now we've had an, another week to marinate on it. Nick Mullins has another week to get into this playbook. But what what is going on with this team, man? Well, they have the number one pick right now, right? Yeah. And that seems to be what if whether you're excited about it or not excited about it or however you feel about it. I tweeted something over the weekend. You know, Sunday the game is running and I was on Twitter just kind of kind of trying to keep up with the news and what happened over the day. And there's just all this stuff about the the Niners have the number one pick. And like I said, some excitement. For me, I read it, man. And yeah, if if they can get someone like like Bosa, who can come in and, and maybe turn this franchise around. I'm all for it, and it's awesome. Listen, if you can get the best player in the draft, obviously, after the year they've had, what's the point of winning four four games right now? Go and get that guy. But I just thought about it, and listen, I grew up with this team in the 80s, in the 90s, and I'm my late 30s, so I grew up with Montana, and I grew up with Steve Young. And the 49ers weren't just a great team they were the model team for all of sports. Mm-hmm. They were the Yankees. They were the Patriots. All of sports. They were what other teams strive to be. The owner made it like a family. They, anything less than the Super Bowl was, was a bust. This was 20 years. And listen, I don't expect any team to maintain that for 30, 40 years. You're, you're going to go in dry spells. It happens. And it was inevitable that the Niners were eventually going to come crashing down at some point, but what we've seen now for the last 20 years to me, as someone who grew up watching the DeBartolo 49ers transitioning into the York's for the York 49ers, it, it just frustrates me. And I see we're talking number one pick again, 
the Niners, the season's over before the calendar hits December again. And it's just so frustrating. And look, this team has lost. They're going to lose 10 games this year. They're two and eight. It'll be four straight years that they've lost 10 or more games for the first time in franchise history. They've lost 10 games or more now, 10 times, 10 times in the last 20 years. The only other teams to do that were the Cardinals will probably do it this year too. They were at nine. And then you have teams like the Jaguars, the Browns, the Raiders, only five other teams besides the Niners are, are, are in the same boat. The Lions as well. So the Niners for the last 20 years have been in the bottom of the league. When you're talking the Browns, the Lions, that, that's where the Niners have been. And they did have the Harbaugh years, and then they got a new stadium. Harbaugh leaves, and then everything went to hell. And you look at the Yorks and when they've hired, started hiring coaches, they've hired seven coaches since 2003. The only one of them to have a winning record has been Jim Harbaugh. And it seems like every year there's, oh, well, this happened. There's an excuse. Well, what about next year? What about that? Look, the Yorks, for me, I, I got to see some kind of sustained success. I, I do. And to me, 2018 is the first year where really the excuses are actually valid because of the injuries. There are valid excuses to me this year. Does the roster need help? Absolutely. But there are some valid excuses because of losing Garoppolo and in however much value you put in McKinnon or whatever, but there are some valid excuses there. But other than that, Zane, it's just been, it's just been a, a rough 20 years. And, and I'm not sitting here like, Oh, well, can you fire the owner? Of course not, but you can hold them accountable. You can hold the Yorks accountable for what we've seen for the last 20 years. And, and people will say like, Oh, well, well they turn it around with Lynch and Shannon. Okay. We'll see. And people want to say, you know, when Adam Kaplan was just very complimentary of Jed York, and I'm sure he, he knows more than I do about him. So, so maybe York does really care, but, what he's done hasn't really worked out, especially when you look at what happened. And I always say with the Harbaugh thing, it's not that he got rid of Harbaugh. It's what he did after he got rid of Harbaugh. Hiring Tom Sula, hiring Kelly, setting, setting the team back and putting them in a, in a hole that Lynch and Shanahan, it's going to take them years to to climb out of. So God, I don't want to be negative, but that's just something that, that I saw and I just wanted to address because as a fan of this team for 30 years or however long I've been a fan of it for, Seeing that, okay, well, yay, we got the number one pick. I hold the 49ers to a higher standard than that. The reason why I feel like the 49ers are a better franchise overall than the Patriots, obviously because I'm biased and this is the franchise I grew up watching. But also, Al, it it's also comes down to how they won when they had their dynasty. The Patriots, you know, they have this, they, they have the run going, extended run of almost 20 years, which is very impressive. And they've won the five Super Bowls during that time. The 49ers had a similar sort of run over 20 years as well. They also won five Super Bowls as well and went to several other championship games that they lost. And and uh, we were just a step away from more Super Bowls. So it really comes down to the way that they were built. And at the time, Bill Walsh was one of the most revolutionary minds in the history of sports in terms of the scope that he brought to what he did and, and his reach in terms of after he was gone, what it was. And you, we've heard all about the Bill, Bill Walsh coaching tree. And one day I would love to, to discuss that. And maybe in the offseason, we could talk about that a little bit because Kyle Shanahan is part of that tree. But Bill Walsh revolutionized the game of football because of the way that he started to call offense and the way that he started to build a team. And it started with those Niners teams in the 80s. And it kind of became a blueprint for everybody else in terms of how to build a team. 
And you couple Bill Wallace with a once in a generation owner like Eddie DeBardlow, like you see the owners now, Alan, a lot of the owners, they care and they want to win and they'll do anything they want. Like Mark Cuban is one of them in basketball. And, and you hear, you know, the, the Steinbrenners with the Yankees and you see these, these owners that are just crazed about winning Jerry Jones with the Cowboys, although he was of the same generation as DeBardlow, but they, they winning to them is everything. Eddie DeBardlow was like the first kind of really, I'm going to do whatever I can for you to make you win type of owner that we've seen. The 49ers flew first class. They were the only team to really fly first class uh, in, in traveling in their jets. Um, they would stay in first class hotels, have the best meals. They would get the best of the best. And that was coming out of Eddie D's pocket. And like you said, it was like a family. When Dwight Clark passed, so many former 49ers showed up because it was like a family. And it is still a family. Like you're once a Niner, always a Niner. And it's part of that's also part of the reason why they were so successful is because it wasn't just like, Hey, this is a job. It's like, Hey, these are my brothers and this is my life. And granted, it's not like that anymore in, in, in today's NFL because it's the contracts and the, the advent of free agency and those things that have changed the game many years ago. It, it's not the same sort of feeling that you get from any team really, but the, the principle of what the whole underlying thing behind Eddie Barlow wanting to do what he did was, was to create a winning culture and to create a winning team because he realized that, Hey, you got to spend money to make money. You got, you have to, you have to be able to put a, a, a product out there that people want to see. And in the end that will help you. And, uh, Eddie was quoted as in, in one interview saying how, how much he hated losing. He said, I don't like to lose. He said it just like that. And, and you believed him when he said it and he, and his actions spoke as such. And you kind of just don't, you, you just don't really get that feeling from New York's and yeah, like the alumni weekend and everything, the, the 94 uh, Super Bowl team reunion and all those things that the alumni had a lot of nice things to say about them. And while all that is true at the end of the day, you still have to put a winning product on the field for the fans, right? That's what fans want. And being at the top of the draft every year is not a good thing because that means that you're not doing the job that you, sh you should be doing. And as excited as some people, I, I actually saw that uh, exchange that you had on Twitter. It wasn't, it was not an exchange. It was more so you put that out and somebody commented and had like three or four tweets um, rambling on about that, uh, responding to your tweet. But I saw that and I was like, you know, I get how this person's feeling and I understand that they're really happy about a number one possible number one overall pick because it's a blue chip player. But at the end of the day, you can add blue chip players in other ways. You don't have to just add through the draft. There's free agency. There are trades. There's all sorts of ways that you can be creative and not have to rely on tanking a season, which they didn't do intentionally, but they just ended up tanking it because of injuries. Um, tanking a season to be able to get into the, into the top five. And really, Al, it just comes down to what, what really matters to you as a fan, as a supporter of this team. Do you want to win championships do you want to hold them to the standard that they used to be held to where it was championship or bust if you don't win a championship it wasn't a successful season or do you want to say okay well we were competitive for five or six years like the harbaugh years for example right there we we were in those years al i don't know if you remember how you felt when they when they kept coming up short i was not happy that they were coming up short i wanted i maybe 2011 because that that came out of nowhere but 2012 was a huge disappointment. 2013 was a huge disappointment. 2014 was a huge disappointment because you start to get that feel of winning back and you want them to, to, to go all the way. You want them to take it all the way. To me, it's not enough that they're competitive. It's like, you know what? You have to win. But I realize 
the sane person to me realizes that, you know what, sports isn't like that. Like you can't win it every year. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of rambling on here, but this is, this is one of those things where I think that we have to keep perspective here. We have to understand that you also have to do something with that number one overall pick. Like they drafted Solomon Thomas the last time they were in the top three. And that was a huge miss. Regardless of what John Lynch said today, and we'll get to that in a bit, regardless of what he said in his interview about Solomon Thomas, that was a huge miss on a pick that you couldn't miss on. So I'm really, I'm really just weary about like, look, if, if your guy is there at number one and you pass on him, or if you pick this guy, whoever your guy may be, if you're John Lynch and he doesn't pan out, that's two top five picks that you, that, that you missed on. And you can't do that. You can't miss on one and expect to succeed. On top of that, it takes time for guys to, uh, let's say that they, they pick Nick Bosa. It takes time for Nick Bosa to, to become an actual NFL player and contribute every down and, and become the, the, a dominant force. Even Alden Smith, he came in the league and he was really dominant. He was not a full-time player. He started off as a third down player and had to eventually earn his spot. And towards the end of the season, he ran out of gas because it's a long college season. So, and going into the NFL season. So, I mean, like just because you're guaranteed like a top pick doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to make the right pick. So I would rather win. I would rather get the results on the field. I would rather be feeling better about wins and wins rather than high draft picks. Yeah. I thought I was going to get roasted for that tweet, but actually most people agreed with me. And I think, look, I think a lot of the fan base is frustrated and you have to think too. I mean, the Niners haven't really been the 49ers in what, 20 years now. So the younger fans, I mean, you really have to be at least in your early 30s to sort of, right? Early to mid 30s to kind of really know what it was when they were great. But mm-hmm. listen, here, since the York started hiring coaches, okay, starting with Dennis Erickson in 2003, the records were 7 and 9, 2 and 14, 4 and 12, 7 and 9, 5 and 11, 7 and 9, 8 and 8, 6 and 10, um, 3 and 13 with, the, with Harbaugh. Um, 12, four, what I just closed out of the page that I was looking at saying on here, hold on one second. It was, I'm back it, right here we go. Anyway, 13 and 13, 11, it was 11, 11, four, 11, four and one, 12 and four, eight and eight. Those were the hard yeah, years. There we go. Yep. And then five and 11, two and 14, six and 10 and two and eight so far this year. And the last three years, they have won a total of four games combined Duff. in the months of September, October, November. So your seasons have been over basically by Halloween. The last three years that's that's pretty frustrating everybody can be patient all they want to you know years are a long time <laughs> when you're talking five six seven years that that's a long time i hope everyone listening to the show has a long and healthy life and you live till you're 90 but we can get hit by a bus tomorrow i want to watch my team win on sundays i don't want to go through these rebuilds after rebuilds after rebuilds so i don't know it's it just it is very frustrating and, and hopefully that they can turn this around but you mentioned the lynch thing and i know you were pretty passionate about some of the things that he had to say in his interview. So I, I kind of want to let you take the floor with that. Yeah. John Lynch had an interview, the, his weekly interview that he has on, on 95, seven, the game here locally in, in the Bay area. And he mentioned that, uh, well, he was asked about Solomon Thomas. He was asked about several things and Solomon Thomas was, he, he, he came up and the word kind of bust came up in the question. And John Lynch was like, you know, I wouldn't consider him a bust, and I'm not. I'm not quoting him directly here, but this is this is kind of like the the gist of what he said. He said he's he's not he's not going to call Solomon Thomas a bust, and that he he has been a really nice, a really good player for the 49ers, and they're really excited about him. It's funny, John Lynch is really excited about everything, right? He's excited about being two and eight. He's excited about missing on a top three pick, and it's just funny. It's just kind of funny to me, like how it's the the terminology of being excited about such a bad team, um, how it how it manifests itself, but. 
his comments on Solomon Thomas were just kind of, they didn't make any sense because if you felt like that was the right pick and if you felt like you did your due diligence and, and your research on it, and if you feel like he's a good player, why isn't he playing more? Why doesn't he have more of a role? Why haven't you found a spot for him? It's like they made that pick. And I know that people want to say that they did their, that Lynch and Shanahan and Martin Mayhew and Adam Peters did their, their research when they drafted Solomon Thomas number three overall last year and that he was the guy all along and, and that they got their guy and then, and uh, Ruben Foster is kind of a bonus, but it's kind of hard for me to believe that when you can't find a place for him to play, like, did you really have a plan for Solomon Thomas? He came on our show, Al verbatim told us that he played 85% of his snaps inside. You can go back to that show and listen to that interview. And he said that himself. We asked him that question. Do you remember so, what he said the hardest adjustment was for him? Do you remember that? I believe it was, it was playing outside, wasn't it? Yep. Learning a new yep. position. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, to me, it's, we've been saying it for like the entire half of last year when we saw that he's not really producing and all of this year that it's criminal that they're not putting him in a, in a position to succeed. I think he could be a really good defensive tackle next to Forrest Buckner. He's undersized, yeah, but I think that he's he's pretty good against the run. He doesn't generate much of a push in the pass rush, but you can team him up with, with Defoe, put him next to each other, and you can probably have a pretty decent tandem there. But he's just getting exposed out there on the edge. He's never getting any push. He's always out of the play. He's rarely making tackles, rarely even on the film. It's just... It's just to me, it's like if you if if you really had a plan for him, then why aren't you executing that plan? And then you come out and you say that oh, it, he's not he he's been a really good player for us. Well, I mean that's just doing a disservice to everybody. That's that's doing a disservice to the intelligence of your fans who see otherwise every single uh, Sunday on TV, and it's doing a disservice to Solomon Thomas who has struggled. You have to you you can't coddle these guys. You have to be like you know what. We need to know what you have. And you mentioned how you wanted to see last week, you wanted to see some more of these rookies and young guys get, get more of a shot. And Solomon Thomas is one of those guys, you know, like if it takes benching or trading Earl Mitchell, I mean, trade deadline's gone, but benching Earl Mitchell to see what you have in Solomon Thomas, that's fine. Earl Mitchell is not your future. Solomon Thomas should be your future. So to me, I think that that particular comment to me, it was just a, a total head, head scratcher. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit annoyed with this whole Solomon Thomas thing because I don't, I don't think they put him in a position to succeed and we don't see what they do at practice and maybe he's not playing up to what they expected and and they don't feel comfortable putting him in a position but the next six games you're done your season is done you have to find out what you have in him the next six games and if he's not a good practice player I don't care I still want to see him primarily playing on the inside on passing downs mm-hmm. on game day that's what that is one of the most important things that they need to do for the next six weeks is play him primarily inside on passing downs. That is one of the most important things they need to do. He is one of the most important players that they need to find out about during the next six weeks. I don't want to hear about Sheldon Day. I don't want to hear about anybody else that you like. They've been play- you need to find out about Solomon Thomas. This was your first pick. You had the number two overall pick. You traded back to number three, but this was the pick of this regime, the first pick that you're going to hang your hat on. They didn't go for any of the quarterbacks. And look, we're fine with Garoppolo, but you know, they didn't like Trubisky, they didn't like Watson, they didn't like Mahomes. Guys like Jamal Adams were there, Lattimore, they were there. They didn't go for any Solomon Thomas was their pick. That was their guy. You need to put him in a position to succeed. There's no excuses. I'm interested to see what they do coming out of the bye. They should have done it earlier, but we'll see if maybe they can make up for it now and 
I don't know. It, it, it is very frustrating. And another thing Lynch mentioned in the interview was Cleo Mack. And, and he said that he thought his um, offer was, I, I forget the words, but just as good, if not better than the Raiders, basically what he said. And look, maybe the Raiders, it's kind of like a, a Mets Yankees thing, you know, where the Mets are never going to cha- trade their star. The Mets are never going to trade the Yankees, Mike Piazza, if you want it out, or that stuff's never going to happen. So maybe it's one of those things where they just didn't want to keep Cleo Mack in, in the Bay area. And the Niners really had a shot. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's lip service. I don't know if, if, if they really did go harder and it just didn't happen. You know, who, who knows, who knows what, what happened behind the scenes. And I'm, I, I'm not going to say that I'm not saying Lynch is lying. If he said he went, he went after him, then, then maybe he did, but that's, that's another frustrating thing that didn't come to fruition this year. What do you think about that? Do you, do you think Lynch was giving us lip service or, or was he truthful in what he said? I've had this conversation with several people who, who also write like we do and other people who aren't associated with the team at all. And, and the general consensus that I come to with almost everybody is that if John Lynch really wanted Khalil Mack, you had to have made an offer that blew the Raiders out of the water. Now, look, I live in the Bay area. I know like the, there, there's that rivalry between the Raiders and the Niners and all that stuff that frankly, from the Niners side, it's not that big of a deal. The Raiders fans and their, their organization makes a bigger deal out of it than the Niners do. The Raiders have always been like the little, the little brother because they keep leaving and coming back. So they were never really the Bay's team like the, like the Niners have been. But that being said, I don't think John Gruden had any reason to keep him away from, keep him away from the Niners. I really don't. Like, what does John Gruden have to gain by not trading him to the Niners? You only hear for another year before you go to Vegas. Then you're not in the same market anymore. Then who cares? John Gruden traded him to the Bears for what John Lynch said was an equivalent offer. Now, here's the thing, Al. You buy, you buy stuff off eBay, right? Every once in a while? Mm-hmm. Or you, yeah, so you buy stuff yeah. off eBay. And you're familiar, obviously, you're familiar with how the auctions work and mm-hmm. bidding and all this stuff. So this is essentially a, an auction for Khalil Mack's services, and he was going to go to the highest bidder. And John Lynch first came out and said that we made the same offer. He, he said this a few weeks ago at the, at the deadline. We made the same offer as the Bears did. Okay. Then you come out this week and you say, we actually made a better offer than the Bears did. Okay, wait. So I thought you just said it was the same offer a few weeks ago. And on top of that, when you are in an auction, you don't make the same offer as your competitor. That's not how an auction works. Like that's not how anything, and when you're trying to outbid somebody, outbid is the key word. You have to beat their bid, meaning that you have to go above and beyond what your competitor is doing to secure the services of what you, whatever the goods and services you need or secure the services of this player. That's how it works. That's how any auction works. And John Lynch thought that he could roll out there as basically say that, you know what, we're just going to make the same offer and say that we tried. I mean, like, you know, come on, man. Like you, you can't, your fans are intelligent and I'm not claiming that John Lynch lied. I'm not claiming that he stretched the truth, but I'm saying that this is, this to me is just a little bit too fishy. Like, I just don't, I just don't understand why you just can't say like be upfront and be like, look, we didn't feel like we wanted to give up the draft capital to get him because we feel like we need to build our team. We, we, we don't have enough talent on this team, but he won't say that because it's the talent is a reflection of the job that he's doing. He's not going to throw himself under the bus, nor he'll, nor will he throw Adam Peters or Martin Mayhew under the bus. Because when he says that, that's basically throwing all those guys under the bus by saying that, look, we didn't bring enough talent into this team over the past year and a half. So we have to hang on to our draft picks to keep, to keep getting more talent, keep accumulating more talent. So to me, 
I don't know. I, we don't know if they actually did make a serious offer for Khalil Mack or not. This this whole thing just is like it's just really weird to me because he was asked the question, mind you. He was asked about that that particular trade. It's not like he brought it up uh, like uh, just just out of the blue. But Al, it's just I can't wrap my mind around the fact that you thought that you were going to get Khalil Mack for the same offer that the Bears were offering. Like you ever hear those those scenarios where uh, it happens all the time in real estate, the nicer neighborhoods you have to pay more to live there. We live in the Bay Area, man. Like this is, happens all the time to everybody. The nicer neighborhoods cost more to live in. The more desirable locations cost more. If you want something, you have to pay more for it because there are more people competing for it. That's exactly what Khalil Mack is. So many people wanted him on their team. You had to you had to have paid more. And I know that hindsight's twenty twenty, and and a lot of people will call this sour grapes and and. And and talk about how oh well we didn't know what actually happened that's that's fine, but next year when you have the chance to improve your team, you have to do what it takes to go get the players that mean the most to you and that will make the biggest difference. Because these excuses like oh we tried but they outbid us or oh like some so and so snag was hit, fans are only going to buy that for so long. And again, this is a really smart fan base who's craving a winner, who wants a winner. Who had one for a few years, got a little taste of it, and wants it back. This is not one of those those situations where it's the Cleveland Browns. You're just feeding them garbage every year. This is not that. This is this is an accomplished team. This is an accomplished fan base, and you need to treat them as such. This team has been garbage, though. Other than years, they have been getting. You've been getting fed garbage for the last. What you know? I just gave the numbers earlier. Other than the Harbaugh years, the last twenty years, basically. So. Look, I just hope that they are going to be aggressive. And, and you mentioned the Bears and, and Mac did go to the Bears. And the Bears had an offseason that I, I want the Niners to kind of have this offseason. They actually got guys that I wanted the Niners to get last offseason. They go out and they draft Roquan Smith, who was probably the best player available when they packed at eight. Mm-hmm. And then they get Miller in the second round at receiver. Their free agent pool, they go Trey Burton. They go Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, just weapons, weapons. And then they make the trade for Cleo Mack. And in this era of football, you need people who can catch the, obviously you need a quarterback and, and they had invested in Trubisky the prior year, but you need people who can catch the ball. You need people who can rush the passer. And the bears went out and, and they got those guys and, and Mack's obviously going to cost a lot of money and they're not paying their quarterback right now, which allows them to do that. But they didn't pay a ton for Robinson or, or Burton or, or Gabriel. They were, they were, they were pretty smart signings really. And, and, you know, Mac has transformed that team and what are they seven and three now as we're recording this. So the Niners need to have that kind of off season. I thought there were some players available this past off season that were difference makers. And I, I will have to see who's actually available, you know, after franchise tags and everything like that this off season. But this is a gigantic, gigantic, gigantic time for Lynch and Shanahan in terms of rebuilding this roster. And you just heard Adam Kaplan say that, you know, he just doesn't think this roster is very good and this defense is, is just isn't very good. And when you look at the draft capital that the Niners have spent on the defense, all those first round picks and even not the first rounders, you know, the, the second rounders like Tart and the third rounders like Witherspoon and, and Warner, to say that they don't have the talent on defense, that's <laughs> that's pretty scary if that's what we're talking about. So this mm-hmm. is a gigantic, gigantic offseason for the Lynch and Shanahan regime for sure. Because the Niners I think this this season set them back. If this season was a regular season, I thought they would have been about eight, eight, nine, and seven. 
if things broke really well, maybe they could have gotten to 10 wins, but now everything's kind of gone to hell. So now next year, you hope you're around 500, you're eight, nine, 10 wins in the year after that. Maybe you're really pushing for a playoff spot, but if they can at least hover around eight, nine, 10 wins next year, Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. All right. Other thing I want to talk about is um, I mentioned that the tweet that I got that I thought was a really good thing to talk about. And again, it was from um, Chris Ellis at Chris underscore Ellis 42, who asked me a question. He just said, Al, what's your biggest disappointment, your biggest surprise, your biggest reason for optimism and your biggest reason why you're not optimistic. And I thought that'd be a cool thing for Zane and I to talk about. And if you follow me on Twitter, you probably already know my answers to this, but this is to hear what Zane has to say too. So my biggest disappointment, I was going to say Robert Sala at first, but actually Zane, my biggest disappointment are the wide receivers. And the reason I say that is because one, well, most of the time you don't even know there's wide receivers on the field when the Niners are playing, but I really had high hopes for this unit this year. I did. And I know Garoppolo was not there, but they weren't really doing anything when Garoppolo was there either. And I just thought this team was going to come out and I didn't think there was one guy who was a stud in that group, but I thought as a collection, I'm like, oh, they got some players. And you look at what this group has done. Marquise Goodwin leads the 49ers wide receivers in receiving yards with 339 yards. Okay. That's 90th in the league. 90th. Mm. Garcon leads, leads the team in, well, leads the wide receivers on the team in receptions with 24. That's 109th in the league. They've done nothing this year. Garcon, 24 catches, 286 yards. Goodwin, Goodwin, who we thought, and I know he's been banged up, and I know Grapple hasn't been there, but we thought he was going to 1,000 yards maybe this year. 17 mm-hmm. catches, 339 yards. Bourne, 23 catches, 230 yards. Taylor, 19 for 150. James, 3 for 67. Pettis, 7 for 108. And Bolden, 1 for 10. The Niners as a team, the receivers have been targeted 165 times. They have 94 receptions, 1,190 yards, and 9 touchdowns. Those are all the wide receivers. All of them. Julio Jones has 1,158 yards all by himself. So he almost has as, as much yards as all the Niners receivers do. Adam Thielen has 85 catches all by himself. He's been targeted 115 times all by himself. Think about it. Adam Thielen has been targeted 115 times. The Niners top wide receiver, 45. Mm-hmm. All of the Niners wide receivers have nine touchdowns. Antonio Brown has 11. Three other receivers in the league have nine. They just, they don't have that player on the outside. And to me, again, Again, I didn't think there was going to be one super stud, but I thought they, they'd have some guys having decent seasons. And, and as a group, that has just been by far the biggest disappointment to me. The wide receiving group, we and we're guilty of this too. This is one of those things that, and me specifically, I came out before the season started and I said that they would be better than a lot of people thought and that Pettis would fit into the scheme very well and, and basically saying that they have kind of weapon, a, a guy that can do everything. And... I was way off with that. So that's one of those things that I absolutely totally missed on. And I didn't see coming because now they look so good last year. They look so good in the last few games and specifically Marquise Goodwin. I know he's been, like you said, he's been hurt, but they look really good. And you didn't expect this type of regression across the board with all of the wide receivers. Even when Jimmy was there, they didn't look great. When Jimmy was in there, he, they were having trouble getting open. He was holding onto the ball and taking sacks because nobody could find the open space. and. I just really think that part of it was maybe that the the offense that Kyle Shanahan was trying to run at that time was relying on Jimmy to hold the ball a little bit. Specifically, in that first game against Minnesota, we saw that he was holding the ball way too long. And I think that it was just making him kind of slow. Like It was just like making him kind of process too much at once because we have to remember he's only a, a second-year starting quarterback full-time, right? Like he's given the fact that he's been in the league for four years, but he hasn't started full-time. Um, for anybody yet 
uh, until he got here. So I think that that's part of it. But I also think the other part of it is that they just don't have a number one. They don't like we thought Marquise Goodwin could be that guy. And I just don't think that I think that he's a good number two. I just don't think that he's that game wrecker. I don't think that he, he he's that type of wide receiver. He's he's one of those wide receivers that's like a kind of like a Sterling Shepard to an Odell Beckham, if you will. Right. Kind of like a like Dude, a I get really, that. I get that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So like kind of like that same sort of role where like he can do a lot of things that the number one can, but he's just like not that I'm going to throw it to him every down, force feed it to him every down sort of guy. So I think that's part of it, but I, I just, I just didn't see this regression and, and the regression, the other regression I didn't see was on the defensive side of the ball, like the defense as a whole, we could say that they've, they've regressed, which is funny because like they're, I think they're number 10 in overall defense right now in 14th and, and, uh, or 17th in points allowed or, or something like that. And, um, it's just that they're so much, they look so much better on paper than they do in person because there's constant miscoverages. There's, there's missed tackles at the beginning of the season. They, they don't hold contain. They don't play the coverages properly. They don't come up with turnovers. They have the worst turnover ratio, turnover ratio in the NFL. And specifically, I don't want to single any specific person out on this defense because they've all regressed, but just, I'm just particularly kind of disappointed in the safety play. Now they've been hurt. Colbert and Tart have been hurt for a good portion of the season, but even when they were healthy, they were missing tackles or taking bad angles. They were not coming up with turnovers. They're letting guys go open free. They did not take the jump that we thought that they would last year. When Adrian Colbert ended the season, we thought that he could be like a franchise type of player. He played that well at the end of the season. We love the safety group, both of them. Yep. Yep. And we, we really thought that they would be, exactly like what Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, maybe maybe not that level, but that same sort of impact on this team. And, and both of them got hurt. And it's just a situation where I think that at this point, specifically with Tart, you have to really think that, Hey, is this guy going to stay healthy? I, I mentioned this last week, how a guy isn't magically going to learn how to be healthy. It's just that your biology, right? Some guys, some people are built differently and some guys are more prone to getting hurt for whatever reason. Right. doesn't mean that they're any, any less strong than anybody. It just, it just, a matter of fact that some guys are just more injury prone than others. So they have to really think about moving on from that. And that comes to this off season. And I want to circle back to that for a second. Al, you mentioned how this off season is going to be very important for them to bring in difference makers. There's, you could look at this two ways. You can look at this in, in the first way to say that, okay, well, they've got probably a top five pick coming their way. They've got a bunch of cap room. They've got a bunch of holes to fill. So really you can't really miss with any player that you get because he's probably going to be better than what they currently have. So they've got a lot of capital to be able to go after that. Plus they've got a healthy Jimmy Garoppolo coming back and a healthy Jarek McKinnon. So next off season will be much better than this past off season. You can look at it that way. And I choose to, I choose to look at it that way. That's the way that I want to look at it. I'm a glass half full type of guy. So I'll look at it that way, but I want to address the other side of it too, because there is maybe 10% of me that looks at this and says, this is kind of a scary scenario because the 49ers really haven't done much in the first two off seasons to add difference makers to their team. Now, everything that they do going forward, it's going to take time for those difference makers to pan out those rookies or veterans or whoever you sign. It's going to take time for those people to gel. The offensive line in the, in the preseason was looking really ragged. And in the first part of the season was looking really ragged. Now they, they've become the strongest unit of the team because it took them time to gel, it took them half a season to gel. So now the clock is basically ticking on, on contracts and age and things like that. 
And you're now still pretty much where you were when you got the team um, after that first roster gut, where you need to, you need to add pieces everywhere, maybe except for quarterback. But to me, it's a little bit of a scary thought because are they going to spend that capital? Are they going to spend the money to get free agents? Are they going to sign difference makers and draft difference makers? Or are they going to be passive again and say, you know what? Everything was too rich for our, for our blood, so we don't want to really jump into this. Now, again, I'm a, I'm a glass half full guy. I think that they've learned from this past offseason. They can't be passive. They have to go after it, and I really think they will. Now, in terms of my biggest surprise, I really thought about George Kittle. The guy's got 775 receiving yards through 10 games, which is already, it's already the seventh most of any 49ers tight end in one season, which is crazy. Davis had 965, 914, 850. Eric Johnson had 825. Uh, somebody named Stickles in like the 60s had 794. Davis had 792. And then you have Kittle already at 775. So he's going to shatter if he stays healthy, knock on wood, the, the 49ers all-time single-season tight end receiving mark. is going to shatter it. But my biggest surprise was actually Matt Burita because when McKinnon went down, I thought it was going to be a straight timeshare with Brita and Morris. And I wasn't sure I, I, I've always listened. I've been singing Brita's praises since they got, I'm a huge Matt Brita guy, but I didn't really think he would be able to sort of be the lead back. I thought he would still be more, more of a change of pace. And I, I thought Morris would get a share, share of carries as well, but Brita has been great. Brita has been fantastic this year. 113 carries, 632 yards, 5.6 yards per carry, and he's caught 18 passes. He scored five total touchdowns, and he's been banged up this year. And his health is the one thing that you worry about, but he's shown that he deserves just as many touches as McKinnon next year. Brita's been outstanding this year, and he was my biggest surprise. And look, I hope he makes the the Pro Bowl. I hope he's on the Niners for the next 10 years. Brita's such a fun guy to watch, and he's been a joy and really one of the bright spots, an unexpected bright spot, because I thought Kittle would have a good year. Brita is an unexpected bright spot in what's really been been a dark season. I, I think that Matt Breed is pretty much, I, I don't want to say this prematurely, Al, but I really think that he's pretty much taken that RB1 job from Jarek McKinnon. I really do. I think that he's earned it. He he runs hard all the time. Like We talked about how hard he hits the hole and how quick he shoots through it last week uh, with, with that Giants game. And to me, it just, it just shows how much he's grown as a player. This guy's undrafted. He's an undrafted free agent out of Georgia Southern. And kudos again. So John Lynch took a lot of heat in, in the previous segment from us for, for the, the, the passiveness and all this stuff, but he absolutely deserves credit for finding Matt Breida. Basically picked him up off the street. He was, he was undrafted and came in and last year he played pretty well. He had the, he had the dropsies and he fixed that in the off season. He is one of the few running backs in the NFL. That's, that's a starter that has not dropped a pass yet. Matt Breida has not dropped one pass this year. So he is truly becoming a, a dual threat. He is becoming the type of running back that Kyle Shanahan had wanted in his offense, but done, did not get expect to get from him. He was expecting this from McKinnon. And I really think that McKinnon, he's, he's probably going to have to be relegated to that third down role until he can kind of get back into the, the swing of things and learn the offense and get into a rhythm. But I think that it would be a disservice to Matt Breida if they, if they were to split carries. So um, I, I like that out. I like that. I like that pick. And for me, I, I have to go with Kittle. I really do. Like, I, I mean, George Kittle last year in, in 15 games, we had seven starts last year. He was targeted 63 times. He had 43 catches for 515 yards and two touchdowns. And that averages out to 34 yards a game. This year, he has he started all 10 games, obviously. 
He's been targeted 71 times. He has 50 catches for 775 yards, as you said. So 15.5 yards a catch. He's averaging, he's averaging 77 yards a game. Like that's, that's more than most receivers average in this league, which is phenomenal. He really is. He's, he's caught 70% of his passes, which is, which is a a really, really good amount for a tight end because he's becoming a, a safety latch for, for Garoppolo or CJ Beathard or Nick Mullins, that to me is a true test of a, of a really good player. Al is, can you do it with different pieces around you? Can you do it with a different quarterback throwing to you? And it doesn't matter who's throwing to him. He's just making plays all over the place. So George Kittle, like I, I fully wholeheartedly believe that he should have a pro bowl berth in his, in his very near, in the very near future. If not this year, if he continues on the same art career arc next year, year after, like he's, He's the best tight end the 49ers have had since like Vernon Davis in his prime. That's a very easy statement to make. And he's a matchup nightmare for everybody. He's got, he's got the same amount of speed that Delaney Walker had and he's six foot four. And there's, if there's one spot, I wish they would use him more. It's in the red zone. And I think that what teams do is that they key on him and they try to take him away in the red zone, which is why you don't see them throwing his way very often. But uh, George Kittle has just been, so much fun to watch and he brings so much enthusiasm and he interacts with the fans and he's a team captain and he's just been everything that you could, that you could ever want out of a second year tight end. He was brought here to block. I remember when he was drafted last year in the fifth round, he was a blocking tight end and known for his run blocking and pass blocking, but he has turned into an actual bona fide receiving threat. And I'm so happy that the 49ers finally have another dominant tight end because again, we talked about this in the beginning of the show, Al, like you, you and I grew up watching Brent Jones and then went from him to like Eric Johnson was pretty good for a few years. And then from him to Vernon Davis. And then after Vernon Davis, it, it kind of just fell off and there was really no, no tight end after that. Now George Kittle is the next really good tight end of the 49ers uh, franchise. And I'm, I'm super excited to see what he does with Jimmy next year. And some people did ask me um, when I put out those stats on, on Kittle, what about Brent Jones? And I think Jones career high was 747. So he never quite got to where Kittle is right now, which was surprising to me. But Jones, yeah, Brent, Brent Jones was a lot of fun to watch. So, all right. Next question was my reason to be optimistic. And my reason to be optimistic is even with how bad the season's gone, even at two and eight with the worst record in the league, they have the number one pick right now with how bad it's been and all the losses. If you look at these games, if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't get hurt, I think this team is six and four. Probably at worst they're five and five. And why do I think that? Well, Garoppolo goes down, they're one and two, right? The next game is against Chargers. They lose twenty nine to twenty seven on the road. There were a couple of bad turnovers in that game. All right. Let's say they still lose that game. Let's say they're they're one and three. Then they play the Cardinals where they had all those yards and turned the ball over five times. I don't think they do that with Garoppolo. That's two and four. Packers game, they lose 33 to 30. And Beathard played really well in this game. But it's another game that they kind of gave away. I kind of figured with Garoppolo, maybe they split the Packers game and 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 the Chargers game. So I kind of feel like they would they would win one of those. So that's what, three, three and four. Mm-hmm. Um they beat the Rams, or I'm sorry, they still lose to the Rams. There's no way they're gonna win that game, I don't think. I think they beat the Cardinals. That 18 to 15 game, there's no way Garoppolo loses that game. The Raiders game, you or I could be quarterbacking. I think the Niners would have won that game. Um, nothing against Mullins. He played great. But and then the Giants game too. Mullins played good, but he didn't set the world on fire. I mean, he didn't lose the game for him, but I didn't think he, he kind of won the game either. So that's that's at worst five and five and in six and four if you split those Packers Chargers games. So that's my reason to be optimistic. If if Garoppolo doesn't go down, you're probably at worst a five hundred team this year right now. 
even if they're four and six, you still think they're going to maybe can go three and three the next three games and they're right around that seven, eight, when Mark, what people thought they were. So if Jimmy doesn't get hurt, they're kind of what we thought they were. That makes me optimistic and maybe going into next year that they, that they can surprise some people if, if they bring in some other pieces. Yeah, I would say that the biggest reason for optimism for me is probably the same thing that they're doing all of this without their number one quarterback who is supposed to be their franchise quarterback and lead this team to, to the next level and at least keep them competitive in games. Like I'm not comparing Jimmy to Steve Young at all, Al, but do you remember what happened when Steve Young went down in 99 after the Aeneas Williams? Yeah. Hit? Yeah. Yep. The all team all, was all went to hell. Yep. Yeah. Everything went to hell. That was a team with Jerry Rice and T.O. on on this on the squad. Like that was a that was a decent roster, but they were so reliant on the quarterback position, the fact that Steve Young was going to execute the game plan the way that Steve Mariucci wanted, that when he went down, they really didn't have a succession plan. And I think that's what what the 49ers kind of went through with Jimmy going down. They didn't have near the the talent on the roster that Steve Young did when he went down for for good. But I think that they were really focused on building this team to Jimmy's strengths and trying to get him players that that would work well with him. And and when he went down, all that kind of goes out the window and you're really just in scramble mode. And I, I commend the team for fighting hard in a lot of these games that they don't have any business being in. Like the Green Bay game was was a fantastic game. I thought that until uh, until uh, you know very recently that was the best kind of game that Kyle Shanahan had had with this team and the best game that this team had had uh, minus the Jimmy Garoppolo wins. And it just comes down to, again, glass half empty, glass half full. And I think that we have to realize and keep this in perspective that as frustrated as we are with the, the losses mounting and the what's surely a top 10, top five pick coming, we have to understand that this is not the 49ers that you're going to see next year. It's not. This is not the 49ers that you're going to see over the next five years. You're going to see better players. You're going to see better coaching. You're going to see more talent on the field. You're going to see Jimmy Garoppolo behind center, hopefully hoisting a Lombardi at some point. That's wishful thinking, but you're going to see much, much different personnel on the field than you are now. And I think it's hard for us to see because we are kind of stuck in the fog of yet another losing season and the hopes were so high. But I think that once we step back for a second and look at what the what the team has lost, and all the national guys, whenever they come on, they 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 say the same thing that they know why the Niners are bad right now. It's because of injuries. Is that true? Every guy that we talk to about this on air, off air, they say to us that the reason why the Niners are bad is because they had a t- they were beset by a ridiculous amount of injuries. So I think that everybody outside of the organization and and the fan base knows why they're why they are the way that they are. It's just hard for those who follow the team closely to see them come up short every week. So my biggest reason for optimism is that you're going to have better players going forward. You're not going to have the same roster. You'll have a better roster going forward, which will result in more wins. And the last question that Chris asked was biggest reason you're not optimistic. And for me, (laughs) this, this was an easy one and it was so much draft capital has been spent on the defense that has regressed first round picks in and I know it wasn't all this regime and some of these guys were three, four fits and but you have Armstead and Buckner who's been good. I don't I don't think he's been the dominant I, I don't know that he's taken it to to that next 
dominant level this year. And I don't know if the pieces around him will allow him to do that. I think if he had a couple other pieces, he can take it to that level. He's very, very good. Buckner is very, very good. But other than Buckner, you have, you have Armstead, Thomas, Foster, Tart, Ward, Witherspoon, Warner, so much draft capital in this defense just isn't good. And if you look at their overall numbers, you may say, what do you mean? Oh, they're ranked, whatever. That Raiders game skewed a lot of things. Only giving up three points and eight sacks. That that makes a lot of things look better than they are. This defense is not good. They play well in spurts, but they always seem to give up the big play. And the regression of the second-year guys going into the season, Solomon Thomas, Witherspoon, Colbert, Foster, these were four guys on the defensive line, linebackers, cornerback safety, that were going to be part of the foundation for this defense. Now, Foster has, has been hurt this season, so it's it, it's tough to judge him. His shoulder has not been right. But the other three, right now you have to have serious concerns about them. We thought they were foundation pieces going into the season, and it hasn't happened. And once again, you have to go into this offseason, you have to draft defense. They have to. They need a receiver, and then other than that, they have to draft defense. They need multiple pass rushers. They need another corner. They may need to. They may need two safeties. <laughs> I mean, who, who knows? They may make a run at Earl Thomas. They might do that, but they 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 need have so many needs on this defense. And as a Niners fan, that has to scare you to your core, considering how much they've invested in the defense. They need to make it to that point before I get into to my biggest reason for not being optimistic. They they really need to make a run at Earl Thomas. That just makes way too much sense. And if you want, if he wants money, if he wants whatever it is, give him whatever it is that he wants to come here, pair him with Richard Sherman again, and get a guy back there who knows his defense. If he comes here, he basically saves Robert Sala's job because they're going to say that hey, we want Robert Sala to be able to run his scheme with guys that actually know how to run it. And for better or for worse, Robert Sala stays and he and he's and he keeps his job because Al, you don't wanna, you don't want to start firing coaches already. It's not that's not a good look for you to start firing coaches only two years into a rebuild. Like it's it doesn't do you. It, it, you you literally start over again on the defensive side of the ball, and that's not really what this defense needs. They need to find a way to make it work for Robert Sala. And I know that we've been critical of him and and saying that he's basically coaching his way out of town, but they have to find a way to get him players to be able to run his scheme. And I think that's what it comes down to is that they don't have the proper players to run the scheme. Like you're looking at a mishmash out of like three or four different types of regimes right now. You're looking at the 2016 regime that had Buckner and the, the 2015 regime that had, uh, had Eric Armstead and 2014, which was Jimmy Ward. And it's just, you have guys that have played from Vic Fangio to Jim O'Neill to uh, whoever the coordinator was when, when um, Tom Zool and Kelly and these guys were there to um, now Robert Sala. You've had four to five coordinators in the last four years for some of these guys. Jimmy Ward was quoted as actually saying that he's like, I don't know if I'll get traded or not. He's like, I've had four coordinators in four years. So for me, it's not like it's been easy. So um, back during the trade deadline when he, when he thought he was going to be dealt, and I think that the, the biggest reason for me to not be optimistic is that they've been so passive in the first two off seasons. Like they, they were a bit more aggressive in the first one. If you remember Al, like when they got Aldrick Robinson and Earl Mitchell and all these guys, and they started building a foundation. But I think that was also because they were trying to flip the roster and really purge it and not necessarily trying to get difference makers in. 
I'm really just afraid that they'll just sit on their hands again for the, for the most part. And they won't jump into free agency because they think that they're overbidding when in, in all honesty, the very essence of free agency is to overbid. That's what it means. Like you, you have to overbid to get your guy. So I'm just really scared. Al part of me is really scared, really worried, apprehensive about them. Just not taking this seriously and be like, you know what? We'll try to build through the draft. We'll, we'll hang on to our cap money. We'll give our guys second contracts and third contracts, save it for that. And we'll just try to build through the draft. That's, that's what keep, I'm really worried keep, about. Keep saving that cap room, Zane. <laughs> one day you're going to need it. Yeah. One, one, one day of these days. Oh uh, man. Josh Garnett is, is down with, I believe a, a broken thumb or hand. He has a hand injury. I, I think he broke his thumb or something. Yeah. Yeah. So they're talking about how he probably won't get his fifth year. Can you believe it's been four years since Josh Garnett got drafted? No, is next year's his fourth year, isn't it? I believe it's a, he has a fifth year option coming up after next year. So it's been after almost four next years. Year, yeah, after next year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Almost four years since Josh Garnett got drafted and he's probably not getting a second contract and there are not many he's a good dude. He's a, Garnett's a good dude, man. He's, he's a good dude. I, 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 I pull, I know it's not going to work out and he's going to be gone, but I, I, he's a good dude. I feel for him because he was, he was drafted into a system. Again, we're talking about systems, right? He was drafted into a system that dictated the offensive lineman to be bigger and maulers and run blockers when Trent Balky was the GM. And basically after that, the, like the year after that chip Kelly came in and he didn't really have a chance to settle into the, the system that he was drafted for. And now he's having to lose weight and they're trying to turn him into something that he's not in, in a finesse sort of guard. And it's just, it's just really not fair to him because, uh, because of all the turnover. So while he struggled, it's also been, been really, really difficult on him. And before we wrap the segment, Al, the other thing that really scares me is what we saw on Monday night. That is your measuring stick. The Rams and the Chiefs and the Saints right now are the three best teams in the league, hands down. There are other teams that are just like a slightly a level below them. Like you look at the, the, the Patriots are slightly below them and like the Bears are slightly below that. And those two teams, the show that they put on, on, on Monday night football, the most points ever scored in a Monday night football game, that is who you're gunning for. And right now, the roster that the 49ers have will not be able to even stay in the ballpark with either of them. And you saw it. They played both of them this year. Even with Jimmy Garoppolo, the Niners were basically blown out of that game. Yeah, they it's, need to it's, get com- it's, it's comical to think that we even thought the Niners could compete with the Rams. Like, it's comical. Exactly. So they, that's what worries me the most is that, you know what, they're like, they'll just fold up shop and be like, you know what, we don't want to compete with the Rams because they're too far ahead. They're trying to win now. We're going we're gonna to go into an extended rebuild and make this even longer than it, than it has to be. So that's, that's what my, my main reason for not being so optimistic is. Did you, the receivers in that game, like for both teams, they combined for 583 yards. That's half of what the Niners receivers have this season. Like, that's crazy. It's crazy. They're just they're they're that and the you put the Saints in there too. They're just, they're playing a different game right now. It's 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 insane. Or one thing I want to hit on before we do um our picks for um the game against Tampa Bay that I'm sure no one cares about um <laughs> is just a lot of stuff going on with Frank Gore because he just keeps going and he just keeps climbing the ladder with all these yardage marks and things like that. And I just went and looked and. Gore was the Niners offense for a decade. And I was like, oh, let me, let me check it out. Cause you know, I like to put out these stats and stuff. So mm-hmm. I looked and the Gore gained 11,073 yards in 10 season with the Niners. Okay. In those years, the Niners passing offenses ranked 32nd, 29th, 32nd, 13th, 22nd, 18th, 29th, 23rd, 30th, and 30th. So 
well, I understand Gore had never really had, other than maybe the year he had 1,600 yards, I think it was 2006, he never really had like those Adrian Peterson like crazy type years. But he was so good for so long, and he was the only person you were afraid of on the Niners for for most of that decade. Mm-hmm. So just just amazing what he's done. And I just want to throw that out there for fans because sometimes I think Gore, like you think he's 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 a compiler and. I guess maybe to an extent. I mean, he's, he he is because he's been playing for so long. But what he's done after the age of thirty, not many people have had. And and what he did in his prime, there was nothing else around him. And and Frank Gore is the man, and he's one of the greatest Forty Niners of all time. And he needs his number retired at some point. And I I, I wanted to throw that out there. Hall of Fame. He needs oh, yeah, to be in the Hall of Fame. I, yeah, he needs like, to be. Not even just number retired. This this guy is a Hall of Famer, and. What really the the one guy that I am so upset did not get that Super Bowl win against the Ravens? Well, there's two guys. Well, three guys, I guess now. Uh Justin Smith, um, Patrick Willis, and Frank Gore, especially yep. Frank Gore. Yeah. Because if you give Frank Gore a Super Bowl ring, fair this is this is completely unfair the way that the Hall of Fame looks at this. But if you give him a Super Bowl ring, he is going into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. He's getting in there. Like his his numbers are every single person above him on the rushing list is in the Hall of Fame. Every single person above him on the total yardage list is in the Hall of Fame. He is the only person on that list, obviously that's currently active, but that is not in the Hall of Fame. So that gives you a, a Jerome Bettis got into the Hall of Fame, and it was largely because of the fact that he won a Super Bowl. And you look at guys like Ladainian Tomlinson and Curtis Martin that. He, he reminds me a lot of Curtis Martin because Curtis, Curtis Martin was very similar where he had a, a number of, of years after he turned 30 that he, that he was still productive. So I think based off of that sort of precedence, like Frank Gore will get into the Hall of Fame, maybe not on the first ballot unless he wins a ring. But if he gets a ring, he becomes a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like he's rushed for th- a thousand yards three times after he turned 30. That's unheard of for an NFL running back. He's averaging four and a half yards a carry this year. And he's 30, what is he, 35 this year? 35? Uh-huh. And you know what? If if you give him the ball on the five yard line, maybe maybe, maybe he has a Super Bowl ring, but that, yeah. that didn't happen. So yeah, yeah, that, but, you know, we, we'll just uh, not we'll talk see. about that anymore. Throw, throw, <laughs> throw a couple fades and give it to Michael James, and yeah. Oh God, yeah. Michael James. Oh, I haven't heard that. Here's <laughs> dude. You, that's gonna go like you got. <laughs> You got the ball on the five yard line to win the Super Bowl, and Michael James touched the ball. Like that's just that's just crazy. Crazy. I mean, that's enough. essentially the game that got Jim Harbaugh fired. Let's be honest. I right? can't. That I can't game. mentally go back there. I can't. Yeah. I, I can't do it. I can't. Oh, God, it's been a long. It's been a long twenty years. Yeah, it has. <laughs> even even we're talking about like how they 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 punch you in the gut now. Like mm-hmm. even as awesome as 2011, 12, and thirteen were, and those seasons were so much fun. Those losses were then excruciating. Oh, excruciating God. and i like, still say the kyle for me the kyle williams one was still the worst just because i love that team so much because they weren't supposed to be there yeah and then he's yeah. he's kneeing balls and whatever the hell else he's doing out there it's just it was awful and then oh my god it's been 20 years of either just being awful or just getting punched in the gut man yeah. oh <laughs> god i got the yankees honestly <laughs> You just traded for for uh, James Paxton. Funny, funny thing, Paxton. So he came out of the town that I went to high school in in Canada. So, oh really? Um, yeah, I went. To, I went to high school for a little bit. I lived in Canada for a little bit, and uh, went to high school there. Were you born in Canada? So I am. I am American, but we lived in we lived in Canada uh, oh. a little bit. So I didn't know that. Uh, I did not know that about you. I'll, I'll tell you the story. It's it's an interesting story. I'll tell, I'll tell you off air. Um, but uh, so anyway, so Paxton was kind of the uh, coming out of the the generation after us. 
And um, we heard about this kid who was like this big lanky lefty and he threw like mid nines and, and he was only 16 years old. And like, I was in college, I was, I was playing college ball by that point. Right. And, and um, we had already heard of him and to see him get traded now to the Yankees is crazy. Cause it's like, I know this kid, I know him. Like he was like a little kid when I, when I was living there and now he's pitching in the Bronx for the Yankees. It's, it's just crazy. Crazy to see. Wait, what'd you play in college? What, what did I play? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was a pitcher shortstop and second baseman. So, um, what college was, did you play for? So I played, I played, so I played two years in Canada and I played one year in central Washington. Um, it's funny. A lot of people don't know. I don't like to, to, I mean, now everybody knows obviously, but, but uh, good for you, man. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I got a scholarship from, from both places actually. So, uh, I was able to play and fortunate enough to have it put me through school. How hard did you throw? So I didn't throw too hard. Like I was, I was Greg Maddox was like my idol. Like I loved watching Greg Maddox pitch because that's how I was. I lo- I used to locate. So I was like, at my, at my peak, I was like low eights. Like it's not, it's not far oh, yeah. hard enough to go anywhere, which is why I played the, the middle infield. Right. Cause I was, I was also a switch hitter. So I would basically be able to get my innings wherever I wanted to. Cause at that age, like look at good for you, man. Good for you. I mean, at that age, like you want to get like, you see all these guys getting drafted. And like, I remember Adam Lowen got drafted from the Orioles. He got drafted to the Orioles when I was like 20 or 21. And, um, he got like a $4 million signing bonus, something stupid like that. And like, he played in the same league that we played in. And like, you see these guys get drafted and like, you know what? I want to do that too. And, <laughs> and you're like, nowhere close to getting it, but I'm like, you know what? At least it put me through college. Right. So that, you know, it was, it was a win-win for me and I had a great time. That's awesome, man. All right. Before we go, do we want to talk about this shit show on Sunday that we're about? Uh, oh, I swore. I can't. <laughs> can we swear on this? Yeah, Whatever. I mean, can bleep, David can bleep it out. I guess we're not supposed to. Anyway, um, yeah, this game, man. The two and eight Niners against three and seven Bucks. The teams have combined for forty nine turnovers this season and just eleven takeaways. And the interceptions. The Bucks have thrown twenty three picks and they've <laughs> intercepted one pass. Oh man! And the Niners have thrown what twelve picks and intercepted two pa- two passes. I'll give you my prediction. I'll let you go. The Niners are going to be up twenty seven to twenty four, and then they're going to lose with three seconds left because that's what they do. <laughs> um, Jameis Winston to I don't know what's their tight end's name. Brait, yeah, Cameron Brait. Uh, yeah, Cameron Brait's going to touch touchdown with three seconds left. Yeah, two and nine. Another gut punch that's what i think is gonna happen yeah they they've got a, a few good players that they got break they had oj oj howard actually just went on ir so he's out um they got but, evans jackson they have a lot of talent yeah they got a, a jack i mean even the third receiver curtis godwin he's he's yeah, really he's pretty good. good pretty good yeah he's yeah. he's having a good year so they have some they have some receiving talent and yeah like it's just a matter of them finding a quarterback it's going to be james winston who is gonna evidently eat, eat another w i guess I don't know if you've seen that clip, but he's going to eat another W. <laughs> and I think that, um, so here's, here's what I think is going to happen. I think the Niners will be, be ahead like you do. And I think that they will find a way to lose because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are more talented than the 49ers are right now, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And the Niners have a lot of trouble stopping talented offenses. Like this past week against the, the Giants or last or two weeks ago, sorry, this is the past week was by, Two weeks ago, as the Giants, the Niners had a lot of trouble stopping Odell Beckham because they can't contain really talented players. I think the same thing is going to happen, is that they're going to have trouble. They'll probably hang in for most of the game. Nick Mullins will play pretty well because the, the, the Bucks defense doesn't take away a ton of 
a ton of, uh, they don't have a ton of turnover turnovers. So I'm going to say that the Bucks win. <laughs> I'm going to say that the Bucks win six to five. Six to five. <laughs> hey man, it's a long season. I, I'm going to say six, five, the Niners will get a safety and a field goal and the Bucks will t- kick two field goals and they'll win. Oh man. What week is it? 12. Is this it's almost over? It's week 12. Is this almost <laughs> over? When, when's the draft? And I promise I will come back with a better pick next week, but I just have to. I, I, I wanted to do one game this year that was just like a ridiculous score. I'm going to make this one yeah. the, the ridiculous one. Like where it's just all like right. all field goals and safeties and stuff. I'm going to make this one the ridiculous one. So 6-5, right. Bucks win. <laughs> Dude, we need a winning season. We need no, one we do. winning season, please. Yeah. Please. I mean, <laughs> please do one. One podcast episode in November when the Niners have more than two wins. Man, do you remember oh, the last time they like the the Nick Mullins game when they won? How happy we were that during that podcast, we were like, "Yes, yeah, remember, we're like, <laughs> oh yeah, maybe they could trade one of these guys. Maybe they can go on a little run." <laughs> yeah, now we're like, we're like Bob Euchre in Major League. We got the bottle of Jack, and we're like, yeah, talking trash. The the hats oh. inside out and has a bunch of marker on it. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, but. But but hey, I mean it's 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 almost Christmas season. It's the holiday time. It's it's Thanksgiving this week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody! Happy Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Be safe, everybody. Enjoy your time with your families. Also, Al, um, one thing before we go, I want to I want to address this uh, as it's affecting so many Californians uh, where we live here. Um, the wildfire up in up in uh, Butte County in the campfire. Uh, it's it's claimed seventy nine lives. Uh, already and it's about 70 percent contains burned 150,000 acres and out, out here al we're 200 miles away and the, the smoke was as thick as it was as it would have been in the next town over like it was so thick we couldn't go outside we stayed it we've we had to stay inside for about 10 days i can't even imagine what the people who've lost uh, are going through people who've lost their property their help their homes their loved ones it's just unimaginable devastation up there so um if you guys want to donate, visit the Red Cross. Um, there's plenty of there are plenty of charitable or charitable organizations out there. There are plenty of GoFundMe set up. Please uh, be generous, donate, um, and make sure you go through the right channels to donate because they're getting a lot of a lot of donations up there that they don't know what to do with. So make sure you go through the proper channels uh, to donate so that you can get to get it to the proper people. So um, thoughts and prayers for all the people affected by that. But holiday season, man. Hopefully they can enjoy a little bit of the holidays and find a little bit of warmth um, with the coming days. Yeah. And anything we can do, like, like Zin said, if you have a legitimate link to any kind of go fund me or anything like that, if you want to send it our way, you know, we'd be glad to retweet it too and, and get it out there. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm on the East coast and, and I'm looking at that stuff happening and it's, it's, it's like out of a movie, man. I can't even imagine, can't even imagine it. And, and definitely all those people are definitely in my prayers and, and just feel terrible. Wish, wish there was more I can do, but yeah, Matt Mayo's so, mom. She actually lost her house. If you saw, if I saw that, yeah, it's really yeah. terrible. And uh, and you know, I've we, we all support Matt and and uh, his family and everything. It's a, it's a community for us too. But the town, the entire town of Paradise up there is gone. It's it's just really sad. So, unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable. So definitely, uh, definitely, every, everybody is um, in our prayers for that, and, and hope everyone's doing well. So, but all right, Dane. Well, I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving too, buddy. Thanks, man. You too. Enjoy Go. the football. Yeah, definitely. Have some drinks and talk about your glory days in college, man. <laughs> no, man, I'm not. I'm not trying to be that guy that comes in be and be that like, guy. Oh, back in be my that day. Guy. Yeah, was- 
Back no. when I was throwing 83. <laughs> man, I, that's, that was so long ago, but, uh, but good times, man, good times. And, and hopefully the, the next generation of, of uh, NACV kids will be able to, to make it even further than I did. And I know they will. <laughs> All right. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Bye.